We are in a series that I'm calling for God and godliness. Because that is what you've been called to when you're a Christian. You're called to God's glory, and you're called to live a godly life. And God, godliness aims at godlikeness. And that's where we're going in this sermon series. The idea, and this is for your spiritual growth and formation in joy in the Lord. This is not an empty and hollow drudgery. This is not self-flagellation. This is seeking a kingdom. This is, this is finding your ultimate, this is being given a purpose and living into it. That being said, we're going to move into a part of this series where I talk about the means of grace. The means of grace are those things that God has given to us that we might grow and live in Him. In other words, the means of grace are the divine resources that God has given us to grow and live in Him. What does what a plant need, for example, to grow? A plant needs water, a plant needs soil, a plant needs sunshine, and if it does not have those things, that plant will shrivel and die. It depends upon those resources to live. Nydia has a lot of plants in her house. and did you, Obviously you know this, but I get to see it, especially during the summertime, Plants know that what they need. And very often, you will see a plant bend towards a window to get the sunshine so that it can take the sun photosynthesis and assimilate it into itself and use that energy to grow in a healthy way. That's what, the mean, that's what spiritual disciplines is about. It's bending towards God. It's about dependence towards God. This is not about building ourselves up to something. We utterly need the resources that God provides to us in order to live in accordance with the divine order. Without those resources, we may live, but we're not really alive. So, he's given us the Holy Spirit. The life of God and the soul of man. So, if we live by the Holy Spirit, let us keep in step with the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul writes. Today, we're talking about the Word of God. And if we've been given the voice of God in Scripture, it is the better part of wisdom to open our ears to that voice in deliberate and intentional ways. Bend towards the Word of God in your life. So I'm going to read Psalm 1. I would like you to follow along as I read the whole psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does he prospers. 
The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It is, it is, you cannot, and I could not during this sermon, overstate the importance of God's word in your life. I can't, I can't overstate the importance. We're told in the scripture that the unfolding of your word gives life. Thy word is a lamp unto my thy feet and a light unto my path, we are told. Kings in the Old Testament were told to know the law, have a copy and to study it, and to rule out of from out of their knowledge of God's law. Parents are told to teach the law in the Old Testament to their children, to talk about it on the way. To write it on the doorposts of our heart. Jesus said, You live by the very words of God. Paul tells us that the scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. And we're told also that it is able to make us wise for salvation. So, it is, it is difficult and Actually, you cannot overstate the importance of God's Word in a person's life. The Word of God, when God speaks, things happen. Universes are created. So that's the spoken Word. Christ the incarnate Word. Today I'm talking about the written Word. And all three of those are in essence the, the divine communication of God. So... The psalm I read today is about two voices. The first is the counsel of the wicked. The second is the instruction of the Lord. And the one before the one sets before us a weightless existence leading to destruction. <coughs> the other sets before us life and strength and health and fruitfulness. What we're talking about is two opposite pictures today of developing as a human being. And it begins with the voice you listen to. Verse 1 begins by describing the blessed man. Blessed is the man. We read. To be blessed is to be happy. In the Hebrew and the Greek. Happy. In fact, some have translated this passage, Oh, how happy is the man. Why is this man happy? Because he is in a fortunate condition. He's well off in the end. It is the Greek equivalent of, it is the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek word makarios, which is what Jesus used in the Beatitudes when he said, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in the spirit. Now, why are the meek happy? Why are the meek and the poor in spirit in a fortunate condition? Because they need 
the help of God. That's why they're fortunate. And they know it. The meek, the meek need God's help, and they know it. Is, is Christianity a crutch for the weak? Yes. And when that crutch is given to you, he makes you stronger than any strong man could ever be. Yes, it is. And he will strengthen us and establish us and set us in a good place by his divine power. But the blessed man is the one who knows his needs, need and he is in a happy and fortunate condition thereby. It's the one who needs God's help and is well off in the end. But right after introducing blessedness, the psalm moves right into an unfortunate condition. And we see the way, really what this outlines here is the way of a very unfortunate man. He walks in the counsel of the wicked. He stands in the way of sinners and he sits in the seat of scoffers. To walk in someone's counsel, what would that be? It would be to receive instruction or to have your patterns of thought shaped by godless people. That's what it means to walk in the counsel of the wicked. It would be to open yourself up to the advice, the worldview, and the understanding, the desires, the hungers, the pursuits and ambitions of godless people. That would be to walk in their counsel. And then, once you walk in your, their counsel, you are standing in their way. And to stand in their way would be to, to live among them. You're among them. They're passing by you. And perhaps you greet them. And then you're sitting. You walk in the counsel, stand in the way, and then you sit in the seat of scoffers. So this is about a downward trajectory. Walking, standing, and then you're sitting in the seat of scoffers. And he who listens to the voice of godless people becomes associated with them and then belongs to them. And that's what it means to sit. You belong to them. So we see, I see in this verse, a way of becoming and developing as a human being. The heart takes the shape of that which warms it. And if the counsel of godless persons warm your heart, your heart will take that shape. What becomes of the counsel of the wicked? To that, look at verse 4. What becomes of the person who walks in the counsel of the wicked as well? Verse 4. The wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff is, is that, so when a farmer farms his field, he gets the weed in and the barley in, there's husks and, and light parts that are not useful. There's straw, they're husks, and the farmer would throw the weed up into the air with a, with a, a big rake, and the wind would take the chaff away, drive the chaff away, because it's light. 
It has no weight to it. There's no substance to it. It can be driven away by any wind of doctrine, by any movement, by any desire. Whatever is happening in the news, there's no weight, there's no groundedness. There's no inner and quiet confidence, but there's just an anxious being driven to and fro. They're not grounded in anything life-given because they've been encultured with the voice of the godless. So the chaff describes a person that is not rooted in anything. But the blessed man is in a happy condition because he receives the counsel of another. Verse 2. The happy man does two things. Number one, he delights in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is the instruction of the Lord. Perhaps in this context it was the Torah, perhaps the whole law of Moses. But stepping out and deriving the principle from it, it is anything the Lord communicates and tells you to do and promises to you. That's the law and instruction and the voice of the Lord. Notice the blessed man does not find the word drudgery. He doesn't find it a great burden. He takes pleasure in it. He wants to take, to delight would be to want to taste it. I want to fully grasp it. I want to press it into my heart and to my mind. That would be to delight in it. I want to live into its reality. I want that to be part, I want it to be what I am like. That's the law of the Lord. That's to delight in the law of the Lord. Now, here's the thing. You can't, you, I'm not telling you delight in the law of the Lord. You can't do that. You can't make yourself delight in something. Just by sheer act of will, immediately, on the spot. What you need to do is develop, develop an action that leads to a habit that leads to a character. And that's what we're talking about in spiritual disciplines. You can't just love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength on the spot. What you have to do is develop, by God's resources, a heart that loves the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And today, I want to give you some tools to delighting, towards delighting in the law of the Lord. So perhaps when I, read, when I read this and when I explained what delighting in the law of the Lord is, you said to yourself, that doesn't describe me. I don't delight in the law of the Lord. Are you willing to delight in the law of the Lord? Perhaps you say, I don't know if I'm willing or not. All right, fine. Are you willing to be willing? To delight in the law of the Lord. Let's start there. If you're willing to be willing, we can get you where you need to be. Now, if you're not willing to be willing, that's an unfortunate condition. But the fortunate man, the one who is really happy and in a good condition, delights in the law of the Lord. Not only does he delight on it, he meditates on it day and night. 
Meditation means to ponder over, to roll something around your mind, to stew on it. It would be like, we just started watching The Hobbit, and I'm very attracted to Gandalf's long pipe, and he smokes on this long pipe, and he thinks, and he stews over something, he turns, around it, he turns it around in his mind. He understands the parts. To meditate would be to break it down into its parts. Analyze it carefully. See the whole. Ask how I can apply my life to that. How does this speak into the current situation I'm in? That would be to, to meditate. How can I press the wisdom into my heart? That's the blessed man. He's happy because he delights in the law of the Lord and he's fortunate because he meditates on it and not just sometimes, day and night. I, I really enjoy talking to a lot of the brothers in this congregation because a lot of you truly meditate on the Lord naturally. You, you, you love to talk about. Your, your mind is filled. The Word of God dwells within you richly, and I, I appreciate that. If you're not there, I'm going to give you some advice. Now, what becomes of the blessed man? Verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Have you ever seen a tree planted by streams of water? I've seen plenty as a hunter trying to find a deer in the woods. Doesn't usually work out for me, but I do see lots of trees planted by streams of water. And the branches are like, the, the, um, the roots are like gnarly. They're reaching out. They're, they're just trying to suck in the river that's passing through it. There's one tree that's almost on the side of a small cliff at, um, not James Ollie Park. What's the other park in Walden? Um, Wooster Park, thank you. In Wooster Park, there's one tree that is kind of bending over a ravine into a small stream there. And its roots are like grass. It looks like a hand trying to just get the water into it. That's what I picture. That's the tree planted by streams of water. Its roots, that which receives life, is directed and absorbing the law of God. The tree is connected to something life-giving. And then it bears fruit in its season. It actually takes that life and produces something useful to the master, to the farmer. It produces fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. Why does it... Why does its leaf not wither? Why is that? Because it's, Gary just said, because he said the word continual. Because there is a continual supply of life-giving resource in that stream. There's a life-givingness to that stream. And since... The tree has its roots in what is life-giving. It does not need to wait for the rain. 
doesn't need to wait for the good times when it can, oh, now, now I'm sucking in life. No, it's continually in that which is life-giving, steadily. So I, I think this is an amazing picture of the man who is shaped by God's instruction. He is like a tree planted by the stream of water, a continuous flow of what is life-giving. He meditates on the law of the Lord. It affects his intelligence, his character, and thereby gives him a peculiar and supernatural power to understand and to live the character of Christ. Now, I want you and me to be the tree and not the chaff. So I want to um, I want to give you some ways now and exhort you to become the tree so that you do end up delighting in the law of the Lord. So you do end up meditating day and night naturally and intentionally. So first piece of advice to become the tree. Plant yourself right next to the stream of God's instruction by reading the scripture on a daily basis. Plant yourself there. Notice that trees don't make occasional visits to places. Um, and Christians should not make occasional visits to God's word. They should plant themselves next to God's word. And to some, some of you, I don't know what you do in, in private, but some of you, I suspect, only hear the Word of God when I read it on Sunday. Don't be surprised that your life is spiritually dry. Don't be surprised that you don't delight in God's Word. Don't, don't, don't be, it's not, it's not a mystery. Because your roots aren't in anything life-giving. You're not being watered by it. So, mystery solved. Now Jesus said, it is written, when tempted by Satan, he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In what terms does Jesus conceive the word of God as? He conceives the word, he talks about the word of God, not in terms of luxury, but in terms of life. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, a tree is healthy because it plants itself next to the stream. A man is healthy or a woman is healthy because he does not live on that which only feeds his or her body, but that which feeds his or her soul as well. Now, by way of personal testimony, I can tell you that when I started reading the Bible, and I know you've heard me say this before, but when I started reading the Bible, my life changed. I grew up a Christian, and I think I was saved. Throughout my whole teenage life, I always had a, 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 I would say I always had a, a desire to live for Christ, but I didn't that well, and uh, 
I, I didn't delight in the law of the Lord, that's for sure. I didn't meditate on it, on it day and night. But when I made Bible reading a daily habit, my life literally changed and my brain turned on. I cannot, I cannot explain it, but I became a different kind of person in the course of a year. I, I am not the man I, am become, I was becoming when I was 20 years old. I was becoming a different person. But reading the Bible daily made me, set me on a different trajectory. And not that I am anything, but I am certainly not in the gall of bitterness and the grips of Satan. So, I remember waking up at 7 a.m., which was just, I mean, unspeakably early in college to me. I was 7 a.m., this is like... I would make instant coffee, very light, because I wasn't used to coffee back then. Instant coffee, light instant coffee. And I'd open my King James Study Bible, Life in the Spirit Study Bible. And I would go through that, read that. And you know, highlighting really helped me during those days. I would highlight things, and it would jump out to me. And I'd think about that. I was meditating, I didn't even know it. And I can tell you that nothing has been more... Nothing, no practice has been more transformative in my life than reading the Bible on a daily basis. Now, how should you approach this uh, if you're going to read the Bible on a daily basis? Number one, pick a time of day that you can at least give yourself at least 30 minutes. You can do it. I know you can. Give yourself at least 30 minutes to read the Bible every day. And number two, don't just read at random. All right? Don't just put your finger down, read that chapter, go to another book, read that chapter. What I suggest is to have a plan. Now, there are plenty of plans online. One good one is the Discipleship Journal Reading Plan. You can Google that. Um, but let me simplify for you. Commit 30 minutes a day. Read one Old Testament book, or chapter, one New Testament chapter, and one psalm. Start there. Three chapters a day. One Old Testament, one New Testament, and one psalm. 30 minutes. Now, we're going to talk about prayer next week, and I would like you to add that into, you, into your spiritual commitment. But right now, commit to three chapters a day. And then stick with it. I want you to know that angels are not going to come down and commune with you. You are not going to sup and fellowship with the saints. And it is not going to feel like your heart is strangely warmed as you read through Leviticus. But you are feeding your soul in a very imperceptible way. I can testify to it, and I'm sure some of you can testify to it as well. Begin to know God as you read the Bible. Begin to understand the storyline of God of which you are now a part. Begin to become familiar with His promises and cherish the promises of God. Seek to dig the wisdom out of Scripture. Create a list of wise things that apply to your life.
So, that would be my advice for at least getting started reading the Bible on a daily basis. Pick a time you can devote to 30 minutes. One Old Testament chapter, one, Old, one New Testament chapter, and one psalm. As you move on and you become a better Bible reader, you become more familiar with things, I suggest you, you read more. But start there. Start there. And absorb yourself with the Word of God. And don't, don't grow weary. Stick with it. And you will grow. Um, plant yourself next to the stream. Now, I, there's an article online that I found interesting called Three or Barriers to Reading the Bible, I think it's called. No, it's called uh, You Have More Time to Read the Bible Than You Think, it's called. And it mentions three barriers to reading the Bible. And here are the three that I, or these are the three at least that I found interesting. One barrier was, I don't feel like I have enough time. I don't feel like I have enough time. And I know that uh, many of you are very busy. But it is very interesting that if you go on Amazon.com and you look up the ESV Study Bible, it is 74 hours and 37 minutes on Amazon. So the audio Bible is 74 hours. There are 24 hours in a day. I don't know how many are in a week. Anyone know that off the top of their head? But you start to parse out your time that way. And I am I guarantee you you can find 30 minutes a day. If you can't find 30 minutes a day, you need to rearrange your schedule. And if you can't find it, you make time. And that's that's what makes it a discipline. Rather, this is not a luxury term in terms of luxury. Jesus didn't speak about this in terms of luxury. He spoke about it in terms of life. So, uh, the Crossway infographic that I'm quoting here mentions that 30 minutes a day would get you through the entire New Testament in 40 days. It would get you through the Old Testament in 120 days. And it would get you the whole, through the whole Bible in 160 days. In just 12 minutes per day, you could read the whole Bible in a year. 12 minutes a day, and you would get through the whole Bible in a year. Does that still feel ambitious, they write? In just six minutes per day, you could read the entire Old New Testament over the course of six months. So the issue, I believe, is not time, but motivation. So how do you do something that you're not motivated to do? This is where disciplines come in. Discipline yourself to do it for the time being. And discipline turns to delight. That's how things work in life. That's how growth works in life. If you're a runner, when you start running, you absolutely despise it. But then, a quarter of a mile doesn't seem that bad. Then a half a mile doesn't seem that bad. Then a mile becomes easier. And in fact, it feels good to do it. And you become healthier and stronger, and you could run much more than you had when you started. Spiritual life works the same way. Second barrier was, well, I feel intimidated. And I will say you will come across many things you do not understand in the Bible, and that's okay. 
You're not there to master the scripture. You're there to have the scripture master you. So, don't feel intimidated. Now, you could get yourself a nice ESV study Bible. That's a very good resource. And just as you read, if you have questions, look at the notes. That was helpful for me as I got started. Um, or you could ask your husband or your wife and talk about that. Come to some of the brothers here and women here that are Bible readers. Talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about the questions. And Don't feel intimidated. Just commit yourself to it. Understand that you'll be befuddled. You'll be amazed. You'll be disgusted. You'll be encouraged. And all these things will come from you reading the Bible on a daily basis. Third barrier was, I struggle to apply the Bible to everyday life. Okay. I struggle to apply the Bible to everyday life. This gets on my nerves. The goal of Bible reading, the goal of Scripture, is the knowledge of God. Jeremiah 9.23 says, Let not the wise man boast in his might. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Or let them the wise man not boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands me and knows me. That is the boast. That's the thing to go after. The knowledge of God. So let's not talk about um, how does this apply to me. Let's talk about how do I apply myself to it. That, that's something that's been on my mind lately. How do I bring myself to the commands of Scripture? How do I attach my hopes to the promises of Scripture? Bring yourself to the application of Scripture rather than waiting, script, waiting for Scripture to apply to you or waiting for somebody to tell you how it, it works out in your... I don't know how you're... You know. The Bible is not a, an instruction manual. How to, it's not like a mechanics book. Know God. Know His story. Seek His wisdom. Fear the Lord. All these things will come from a Bible study. And, I, and again, I want to say, in, in mysterious ways, your soul is drinking in the Word of God as you read on a daily basis. So, be encouraged. Next, uh, after Bible reading, I would suggest that you not just plant yourself next to the stream of God words, God's Word, but you actually get your roots down into the stream. Don't just plant yourself there. Get your roots into the stream. What does the blessed man do? He meditates on it day and night. Now, Christian meditation is not like Eastern meditation or Buddhism. Meditation for a Buddhist is emptying your mind and becoming detached from reality. That is precisely the opposite of Christian meditation. Christian meditation is to think deeply about what you are thinking about, the passage in question, 
and thereby to become more alive to what is true, not to become detached from reality. It's to vivify what is true in Scripture and press it into your heart and mind. So meditation seeks for more insight into what is being read. And it digs for Scripture. How do you meditate then? First, you meditate by reading expectantly, not passively. Actually believe when you open the Bible that God might have something to say to you today. Read expectantly and ready to obey his commands. Or is there a command to keep in Scripture? Is there an example to follow that you're reading today? Is there a promise to believe? Is there an error to avoid? Is there a sin to forsake? Highlight it. Underline it. Make it part of yourself. Think about it. Second, after you're reading expectantly, um, you can ruminate over the passage. Remember, just like Gandalf on a pipe, ruminate over the passage that resonated you with you to that day. Very often you'll read, and the Lord will kind of, or one or two passages will kind of just stick out to you because of a situation or because it's just it seems very deep or rich. Think about that for a minute. You could even outline that passage. Break it, break it down into its logical components. Write your own commentary on that passage in your own words. That helps you understand things better. Paraphrase it and make it part of yourself. And as you press it into your mind, it becomes part of you. And you may forget it, and that's why writing things down is very important for me. And that's my third piece of advice. Write down your thoughts. Writing things down brings uh, it out of the fog of, of your mind, and it, it crystallizes it on the page. And it forces you to be more precise about what you're thinking. It brings it out of that realm of foggy ambiguity, and it puts it in clear words so you can grasp it and say, yes, that's what I'm thinking. So write down your thoughts. And it, it helps you become a deeper thinker. Lastly, lastly, become a learner of God's Word. I don't have a, a, a tree-like metaphor for this last one, but become a, a learner. Don't just seek to be encouraged by it. Don't just seek to be um, stimulated, although I want you to do that. I want you to delight. But also, especially the men in this church, as we think about our theological focus group, think about becoming a learner and an understander of the mind of God, the plan of God, the promises of God. Jesus talked about scribes trained for the kingdom. And I want the men in this church to become a scribe trained for the kingdom. And Jesus said, the one, the, those that are really scribes trained for the kingdom, they bring out of their treasure what is old and what is new. So do you understand the Old Testament promises and how it relates to the new covenant promise in Christ? Can you, can you ask yourself right now, can you clearly define for me 
And can you outline the parts of the gospel? Just ask yourself that for no condemnation here. But if you can't, if your mind right now is running around for a clear definition of the gospel, I would encourage you to seek to understand that very clearly. Then look at 2 Corinthians 5, and I'll give you the answer. What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? And, and Jesus talked about that a lot. A scribe trained for the kingdom will be able to, un, will be able to articulate that and explain it. How do all the promises of God find their yes in Christ in various ways? How does the how does the how does Noah prefigure Christ? How is Christ the Son of Man, the suffering servant, the Messiah? What are we looking forward to in the end? Be a, become ask yourself questions. That's why that's why systematic theology is very valuable to the people of God because it categorizes thoughts for you. It helps it helps you answer questions that may just exist as foggy notions in your head. So we want to be clear, scribes trained for the kingdom in this church. And as you become a Bible reader, I encourage you in that direction, especially the men um, who, Lord willing, will become teachers themselves. So, in, in summation, I want you to become a tree planted by streams of water. I want you to bear fruit in your season. Resist becoming chaff and light and weightless. And commit to reading the Bible, therefore, on a daily basis. Get your roots into the Scripture. Seek to know God. Seek to cherish those promises. One of those promises is a the psalmist says, I believe I will look upon the Lord in the land of the living. I love that psalm. When your eyes close for the last time on earth, they will open again in a place where men live. Seek to be a Bible reader. Seek to know your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through it. I want to share with you, as I close, words from Jeff Thomas, an old believe Scottish preacher he says do not expect to master the Bible in a day or a month or a year rather expect often to be puzzled by its contents it is not all equally clear and great men all great men of God often feel like absolute novices when they read the Word of God the Apostle Peter said that there were some things hard to understand in the letters of Paul I'm glad he said that. Because I have felt that way too. So do not expect to always get an emotional charge or a feeling of a quiet peace when you read the Bible. By the grace of God, you may expect that at frequent times, but often you will get no emotional response at all. Let the word break over you. Let the word break over your heart and your mind again and again as the years go by. And imperceptibly, there will come great changes in your attitude and outlook and conduct. You will probably be the last to recognize these things. 
And often you will feel very, very small, because increasingly the God of the Bible will become so wonderfully great to you. So go on reading until you can read no longer. And then you will not need the Bible anymore. Because when your eyes close for the last time in death, and never again to read the Word of God in Scripture, you will open them again to the Word of God in flesh. That same Jesus of the Bible, whom you have known for so long, standing before you to take you forever to his eternal home. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer.